0: So we're on Article, I said 7, I need to change that uh, title slide, Article 8 tonight of Repentance and Faith, Um, and for those of you who've been with us, of the 18 Articles of Faith in our Confession, which is the New Hampshire uh, Baptist Confession of Faith of 1833, uh, a third of those deal directly with being saved. And... um, I said before, back when we started with Article 4, there's a lot of overlap in these. There's a lot of times when we're dividing things out and talking about them as separately. And we need to do that for, I'll say, academic reasons, right? But there's a whole overlap because when we talk about being saved, nobody's ever partly saved, okay? Okay. So, for instance, uh, we talk about in Article 5, justification, Article 7, regeneration. No one has ever been regenerated that wasn't justified or vice versa. It doesn't happen. Nor tonight, as we talk about faith and repentance, uh, and I've said a lot of times, it's not as if when we retell our testimonies of conversion that we could say at 7.15, I believed, and at 7.16, I repent. It, it, you can't split these things out in experience. Uh, And they do overlap, but to understand uh, what the Bible is speaking of, we need to get our terminology right and it's helpful to break them out. So we have six articles dealing directly with being saved. So just as a quick review, article four of the way of salvation. If you were here that night, um, that whole article can be uh, summed up in one word. Jesus. Jesus is the way of salvation. If we get that right, we'll probably get the rest of that right. Article 5 was of justification, which speaks uh, specifically to the aspect of salvation, which is our being declared righteous by a holy God. This is a legal term, uh, declared innocent, if you will, uh, and and now a child of God. Article 6 of the Freeness of Salvation, of course, speaks to the fact that Jesus paid it all. If I may quote the title of a uh, familiar hymn to many of you, I'm sure. Uh, Article 7, the last time that we met uh, studying our confession of grace and regeneration, uh, we talked about being born again. Right? It's, It's necessary. We don't need just a little help. We don't need just to be improved. We need to be made new because we are born sinners and enemies of God. And so that's the Spirit's work entirely. Uh, Article 7 speaks to regeneration. Tonight, we will talk about uh, repentance and faith. And I've uh, highlighted here an excerpt from the article that is, I think, the most important of what we need to get across tonight. Repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces. We'll read those words again in a moment and much more. But tonight, if you get nothing else, we need to understand that they are both sacred duties and also inseparable graces. And then next time, which will actually be in two weeks because we've been neglecting these uh, confession studies. So we're getting two in this month, Lord willing. We'll talk about of God's purpose of grace in Article 9. So, here is our eighth article of faith, of repentance and faith. Let us read it together. We believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces, wrought in our souls by the regenerating Spirit of God, whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ... We turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy. At the same time, heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, and relying on him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. Um, as we begin to dissect this, this article and the next one, 8 and 9, Repentance and Faith, and of God's purpose, uh, of grace, which is election. These are probably two of the more controversial in their wording. There's no need for them to be. If we we would let the Scriptures speak for themselves and just believe what's in the Bible, there's no need for controversy. But I say that, and there have been generations of uh, debate and discussion over these specific topics. Uh, I'm going to say... These two articles are sadly um, yeah, among those who are most neglected and abused among our people specifically. I think that's sad, but true. Uh, I happen to believe uh, the words that are in this article and, and the next one um, very much. We said at the beginning that this is a confession of faith. This confession is not what's authoritative. The Bible is what's authoritative. But we have said, um, this one, 1833, so what, 150 years before this church was established, roughly, uh, Baptist churches believed it. Since the inception of this church, we have said, we believe it, and I think we should because I think it's accurate. So um, some will, will bristle at some of this wording, but again, there's no need to. It's an accurate representation, I believe, of what the scriptures state. So let's get into it and see that, shall we? All right. First, a bit of vocabulary. Repent and believe. What do these words mean? And uh, we might think that that's a pretty simple, fundamental, maybe even childish question, but you'd be surprised how many people get this wrong, quite honestly. Uh, and so uh, what I went for tonight and the reason that there's these strange markings up here in the yellow um, I went for, what does the Bible say? And that means going back to the original language. So those are the Greek words. I don't care that you know the Greek word, but you need to know the definition of the original word. For instance, uh, 41.52, and these are taken from Loneida, which is uh, a dictionary for Greek words. It's very helpful. All right, metaneho is to repent. This is the word everywhere we find it that says to repent. And it says, to change one's way of life, as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude with regard to sin and righteousness. Okay? I think that's an excellent definition. Every time we find the word repent in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament where it's found, excuse me, that's what we should be seeing. Now, in the English, when we use the word repent, sometimes more emphasis is given to uh, the feeling sorry for, Okay, and that's associated. I'm not saying that there's not that, but the word actually means the turning, the changing. So uh, we'll talk about what's associated with, but that's what the word actually means. And then below that, a little funny story. How many of you had, uh, we'll just say debates. I won't say fights. Debates when you were going trying to figure out the names of your children, All right? Anybody have trouble with that? All right, that, that was some of the longest debates Sasha and I have ever had. And then you calculate how many children you find out. That's quite a bit of debating. Anyways, um, I don't know. Parents want to do something that's meaningful, that's beautiful, you know, whatever. Maybe a little bit unique. We have some friends that uh, they were trying to decide some names. They're going to have a little girl. And they wanted it to be something biblical, right? So that, try to set them out right. You know, many of us have biblical names. And so they wanted to do something a little bit different at the same time. So the wife began to ask the husband, who knew a little bit of uh, biblical Greek, you know, what's the Greek word for this or that? For instance, uh, how many of you know anybody named Zoe? Right, that's, that's a, a, a Greek word for life, right? That's biblical. Uh, we know some uh, other friends who have a little girl named Charis, which is the Greek word for grace. And so that's kind of cool and pretty. And she says, what's the Greek word for faith? And he said, oh, no, we don't want that. She said, what is it? Pistis. Not a very pretty word, right? So here it is, though, pistou, Uh To believe or faith uh, in the New Testament. This is the word. Uh, it's, and uh, where we get into trouble with the word believe is, again, there's a modern connotation that says to believe something is just to um, assent to some mental idea, right? Yeah, I think that's true. Agree with. Hmm? Yeah, to agree with it, right? A- and that's not the fullness of what pistuo" means, or to believe in the Bible. So, again, here's, I think, a pretty good definition to believe something to be true, and hence, worthy of being trusted, to believe, to think, to be true, to regard as trustworthy. And so, oftentimes, I find uh, it's helpful to use the word trust in place of, or in addition to, believe, uh, just so that there's there's not that misunderstanding, because that can have a shallow meaning in our Modern usage of the word believe. So these are the definitions of what God inspired, and so these are the ideas that we should have. We're talking about faith and repentance. We're talking about trusting and turning. Okay, that's what the terms uh, sort of boiled down mean. So let's uh, jump into it. The first clause We believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces wrought in our souls by the regenerating Spirit of God. First and foremost, see here that I have highlighted or underlined that, that portion again. Sacred duties and inseparable graces. A couple things we need to say about that. First about the word inseparable. Um, I personally believe that faith and repentance are sort of uh, two sides of the same coin. Okay? You don't have to necessarily go that far, but know that the Bible always links them. As I said before, there's never a case where someone believes and doesn't turn or repent. Or also, there's never a case where someone repented without believing. Okay? So they are inseparable. You never have one without the other. Uh, A friend of mine once said and it was sort of his wording, he said he believed that the repenting or the turning was actually uh, the act of the trusting. So really, uh, two sides of the same coin. Inseparable. But the big question, and this is what I I said I I hope we get across tonight, the big question is how can it be both a duty and a grace? And that's why I say this is the great Paradox. And then, if it's not too small of print, underneath that, one of, because there are several in the Scriptures. The point of this phrase says that there are sacred duties in that it is our responsibility. Okay? So, it is our responsibility to believe and to repent. The onus, as folks used to say, is on us. There is no biblical teaching to match what some folks say wherein people are converted to Christ and have no experience. Or, as I have heard some folks claiming to be Christians, say that they were converted against their will. No. No, no, no. When you are saved, you repent You trust, and if you don't, you are not saved. Okay? God will never drag somebody, and I'm figuratively speaking here, kicking and screaming down an aisle to an altar, as if an angel picked them up by the nape of the neck. And, you know, no, that's not the way it is. God absolutely works, and we talked a bit, uh, quite a bit about the Spirit's work in Article 7. Uh, and we'll talk about it again tonight. It's absolutely God's work in the spirit to, to move us, to convince us, convict us. And, and there's more about this in this article, right? God's working on us, answering questions, overcoming objections, teaching us to trust. There, there are a thousand, a million phrases we could use. God's working on us, but there's never been anybody saying, no, 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 Ah, God saved me. No. It is our duty. It is my duty. And and I shall continue with God as my helper to continue, say, Sunday in and Sunday out. You must trust. You must repent. Okay? Now, I've said all that. What's the other side of the paradox? And if you didn't know, paradox means something that looks like uh, a, a conflict but truly is not. While we hold to the fact that it is man's responsibility, man, woman, boy, and girl, to repent and believe, yet the Bible also speaks about faith and repentance as being graces. What do we mean by that? Meaning it's not us. Meaning He gives it to us. Okay? So, this is why I say this article and the next one are some of the most troubling to some folks because... Uh, If we approach this in a way that we're not letting the Bible define our terms, if we approach this in a way that we're not going to uh, embrace everything the Bible says about a subject, then here's what Christian people and especially Baptist people have come to in the past. They'll line up on that side of the room and say, it's our duty, it's our duty, it's our duty. And they'll line up on that side of the room and say, God does it all, God does it all, God does it all. Well, which group's right? If we believe the Bible, and if we confess along with what Baptists have been confessing since 1833 in this confession, and uh, generations before that in other confessions, we say, yes, it's our responsibility. Yes, God does it all. That's not straddling a fence. That's saying there's truth to the fact that it's our responsibility because it is because no one has ever, ever, ever been saved who did not seek salvation. Never happened. Never will. It's also true at the end of it all I've never seen one person who was truly converted I mean really saved regenerated, justified spirit convicted and then relieved of their sins and popped up and said man what a good job I did. doesn't happen. What do we say? Jesus saved me. Thank God the Spirit came and sought me. How many people have you ever heard in their testimony, and I know if you've been around Missionary Baptist people for any length of the time you've heard this, say, I don't think I could have gone one more night. Right? I've heard some people say, God was after me. Thank God for that. And by the way, I don't have a problem with that language at all. He sought me before I ever sought Him. And we're thankful for that. So don't think if we, if we talk about uh, our faith and repentance being graces and being holy of God, or here, wrought in our souls by the regenerating Spirit of God, meaning, what, what it's okay to say what this says. This is biblical language. God's Spirit worked repentance and faith in me, okay? We'll, we'll see in Scriptures in just a moment to back this up, which means, by the way, you should be reaching for your Bibles if they're not already out. It's okay to say that, and, and it doesn't mean what we're saying is there's no experience or it's against my will. We don't have to. We embrace all of what the Bible says, and we say they're both true. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was once asked, well, how did he phrase it? Um... Oh, I can't think of the the phrasing right now. How do you reconcile uh, the sovereignty of God, meaning it's of God, and the responsibility of man? And his response was something to the effect of, I didn't know friends needed to reconcile, right? We embrace all of what the Bible teaches, and if folks want to line up on one side of the room and line up on the other, and we're left somewhere closer to the middle, we just invite them to come on in with us, okay? So let's look at what the Bible says to back up what I have just said. Someone pull up for us Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 14 and 15. Read it out loud. Now, after that, John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. All right. One of many instances we can turn to, so I think everyone will say uh, this is sufficient, uh, this is consistent. Even Jesus Himself said, you must repent, you must believe. Okay, This is not the only time He said it, and He's not the only one in the Bible who said it, but I think this is sufficient to set the case. It is our duty and our responsibility. Whose responsibility is it to repent and believe? It is ours. Okay, We affirm that. We believe that. Now let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. Now, years ago I came kicking and screaming to the realization of what this actually said. What is it that's the gift of God? If you are an English major and you dissect this, or if you turn to the original language of the New Testament and the Greek and you look at the, uh, the way that it's written there, both say the same thing. All of it. For by grace are you saved through faith. The faith is included in what is a gift. Think about that logically for just a moment. We have already affirmed that we are all born sinners, incapable and not willing to seek after God. We are enemies of God by nature. Of course, the faith couldn't start with us. It's God that allows us to believe in the first place. The faith that we place in Christ. Yes, we place it. But the faith that we place in Christ begins where? It is a gift of God. Were it not for God's grace and reaching out... No one would ever believe in him. Now let's go back. Whose responsibility is it to believe? It's ours. Where does the faith begin? It's a gift of God. Not one or the other. Both. Both and. All right. 1 John chapter 5. Again, this is not a text that gets uh, preached much from pulpits among us. And that's because it's so hard to get around what it actually says. But what John says is, very opening of verse 5. Everyone who believes, past tense, has been born of God. Child of God, tonight, the reason we are still believing in Christ and the reason we shall continue to believe in Him for the rest of our lives is because He sustains our faith. All right? Back up. Whose responsibility is it to believe? It's ours. Where does that faith come from? It comes from God. Can I have a question? Both answers. Yes, yes. So when an atheist or those who don't believe that God gives us the gift of faith and it's our responsibility, are they atheists? Are they not responsible? They are absolutely responsible. Uh, And the truth is, uh, many atheists over the years have been truly converted in the same way that many believers in foreign gods or other gods or, or however you want to say Okay. So this does not say anybody believing today will be believing and nobody who's not yet believing won't ever. No, no, no. Because the spirit is continually reaching out and God is continually sending out us, right? How many times have I said why are we still here? God's not done saving, right? So there are those who will receive that gift of faith, if we want to use that language and I know that's troubling, terrible language, but It's it's Yep. Everything else is already there. Everything I, I don't exactly know what you mean by but everything they, else. But like the, the grace part of it. So God is continually extending grace to people and they're coming to faith. There are those who deny and reject and will continue to. Right? This is an ongoing thing, though. But whoever comes to faith, and it's true of everyone who does, has ever, will ever come to faith, they must say it was a gift of God. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah it does. It, it it's, does. It, it, I mean, it gets kind of sticky here because we want to get on one side of the room or the other, right? It's not like being stubborn. It's, you're told, you're told Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I don't want to get into it because it branches off in, in other directions. But if you were to read in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I'm not, uh, not going to quote it because I'll mess it up. But he talks about those who continue willfully sinning. And he describes what he's talking about there in Hebrews chapter 10 about those who reject. It's, it's, a, it's a continuing rejection. And he's talking about people who have heard, who have known, who have. Uh, so it's not a sin of ignorance. He's talking about people who have come in amongst us. Sunday after Sunday, so to speak. And they have heard the preaching. And they know here. Right? And, and that's when the old saying comes in. They'll miss heaven by 18 inches. Right? So there's a mental aspect. But there's absolutely a heart aspect. Right? When we talk about faith. That's not just mentally assenting or, or agreeing. It's, it's both. But at the end of it. <coughs> We can only give credit, even for the faith, to God. <laughs> right? Both end. and. I don't know. That's diff- Things like this are like talking about the Trinity. All right. We must affirm there are three persons, only one God. Sometimes we come up with little ways to try to help us understand that, but all of those of Explanations sort of break down at some point because there's nothing like God. Right? Like some people say, three-leaf clover. It's one clover. It's three leaves. But yeah, but if you take one leaf off, you only have a part of, right? You don't have a part of God. You have God. All right? So, we can't fully understand Trinity, but we believe there are three persons. We believe there's one God. Same here. How does this actually work out that, God, that, that we are responsible and, and it's our duty, and yet at the same time it's a gift and a granting of God. Like, we could never write that program, okay? We have to at some point appeal to the mystery of God, but we must, unless we reject portions of Scripture, hold to both. All right? It's much easier, again, to line up on that side of the room or on that side of the room, and Christians have been doing that for 2,000 years. And if you want to go back in Old Testament time, they had issues of their own. They did that, right? It's, it's, look, it's so much easier to pick a side. But in so doing, you ha- I mean, if you were on that side of the room, and I'm, I'm trying to stay consistent, trying to remember which way I pointed. If you're on that side of the room that says it's our responsibility, it's our responsibility and God has no part in it then how do you come across 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, or other texts? You, you can't. How do you explain Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? You wind up doing gymnastics with the text, and it's just it's not right. Or if you're on that side of the room, and I don't, by the way, mean that about who's sitting on which side. I'm just... Don't, don't think that. <laughs> Alright, if you're on the other side of the room and you say, we have no part in it. I have heard in Baptist churches a man stand up and say, I had no part in my first birth. I had no part in my second birth. I said, well then, you may not have had a birth. (laughs) I mean, it's hard. And if somebody's dead set on being on one side of the room, you're probably not going to convince them. I, I mean... And just, here's here's what the Bible says, and I, I'm just kind of silly enough to just agree with it, because I'm not smart enough to figure it out, how I can stay on the other side. All right, let's move on. I think you're getting what I'm saying. Acts chapter 11. This is another... <laughs> All right. So context here. Here's Peter standing up talking about the uh, uh, revival that was had amongst Gentiles. And it really messed with the minds of some of those Jews back then who thought God was only in the business of saving Jews. And so Peter stands up and says, look, God did all this. Who am I to speak against God? And, And did you notice the last part of what Brother Milton just read? Their conclusion was... Well, then God has given them repentance. Let's back up. Whose responsibility is it to repent? It's ours. Who grants, gives repentance? It's God. Right? So whether you're talking about faith, whether you're talking about repentance, and they are inseparable. We can talk about them and define them separately, but really, they're right there together, and in experience, they're just... just Just the same thing, right? Sacred duties, our responsibility. But they're also gifts, graces of God. He gives the faith. He grants repentance, right? This is biblical language. Again, easier to be on one wall or the other, but then you deny the scripture. So it's both and. In God's mysterious way. And thank God that He works this out. And we don't have to understand the inner mechanics of it all. We just have to profess faith in Christ. We tell people they must repent. And when they come to the end of it. We say praise God for saving another one. That's the way it works. Right? We have to hold to both. Alright. And moving on. Unless there are other. I wanted to spend most of the time there. But if we need to spend a little bit more we will. All right, just don't look around at anybody else, but, well, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable tonight. But do you recognize how that some of that language can get kind of uncomfortable? If you walk around saying that God's the one that supplies the faith, God's the one that works the repentance in you, and you go, you, you get a little itch on the back, and you're like, wait, wait a minute, aren't, aren't they supposed to do something? Or on the other hand, you say, well, you know, it's just whenever you choose and it's, it's only a choice. What, 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 I mean, I mean, there's choosing and there's seeking, but it doesn't it have to be of God, right? If, if you get a little bit nervous about both sides, you're probably close to right where you're supposed to be. And if people at both sides of the room are yelling at you, you're probably right where you're supposed to be, right? <laughs> Biblically balanced is the term I like to use. So, All right. Both duties and graces. We'll try to pick up the pace and finish this article. Next clause. Whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ. So let's prove these out. John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus speaking of the coming Holy Spirit after He leaves. And He says, who's going to get there first? Go ahead. Read it out. And when he has come, he will reprove, reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Alright. That's what the Spirit's going to do. We talk about all the time. People need to be convicted. What we really mean by that is rebuked, convinced. Right? Language of our confession here. Deeply convinced. Whose does that? The Holy Spirit of God does that. Right? And this is where you've heard me say... I will never, God help me, never try to talk somebody into an altar or to bow. Right? I'll reason with them. I'll tell them that's what they need to do, and in a certain way, I'll plead. But what we should never get to doing is, well, just come on up to the altar. Just come on up to the altar. Just come on up. Spirits got to convict them. All right. I've seen this abused even in our churches. Okay. We need to let God do His work. Now, we need to do our work. We witness to people. Brother Woody's talking about, look, he's talking to hotel clerks and restaurant clerks and anybody. Praise God. People in Peru, we need to follow the example. Alright? We need to be telling people about Jesus. But it's not our job to make them feel guilty. Alright? Uh, there, there's, there's ways that can be abused and it becomes Artificial. Artificial conviction never led to a real salvation. It's the Spirit's job to convince, to convict, and to draw. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is the great day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter spoke that great message. And what was the response? Who's there? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter, from the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. How many of you remember being cut to the heart? Spirit does that. Spirit does that. We can trust Him to do that. That's the cool part. Alright, another one. John chapter 6 verse 44. Once again, Jesus speaking about the Spirit's work. And what does He say there? Alright, who does the drawing? Spirit sent by the Father, right? So that's where we get this language. We're deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness and of the way of salvation by Christ. The Spirit both reveals us our uh, sinfulness, our weakness, our guilt, that burden, that load. At the same time, now, uh, let me point this out too. This is both contained in the Scriptures and in the language of our confession. Feeling guilty... Is not the same as being drawn. Alright? I feel guilty sometimes. I don't need to be saved again. Sometimes children who are too young, meaning God's not dealing with them about their soul, and it's so hard, and I, you know, it's tough, and we just have to trust God and be patient... But a kid can feel bad about things long before they're called of God. Because notice here in our confession, I'm glad they, they, I told you, I really believe this is, this is good verbiage. We're both convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness. That's the burden, that's the guilt, that's the pain. But also of the way of salvation by Christ. If God is dealing with someone, it won't just be they feel bad. They'll know that they need to feel after, seek after, call out to God, to Christ. Guilt, yep, they'll have guilt. And in fact, they could have guilt before they're actually drawn and sort of, you know, I know when I was young for maybe a year before I was saved, just because I'd grown up in church and I'd heard enough and I was beginning to get old enough to realize the seriousness. And so I would get scared a lot. In fact, um, this may have been one of the last times this ever happened in a public school in America, but... There was a gospel quartet that came to my elementary school and all the classes let out to go to the gymnasium to go hear it. That never happens anymore. But, point being, I was not being drawn of God. Hindsight, I can tell you that. But I can tell you, I wanted to be anywhere but that gymnasium because they kept singing about Jesus and I knew that I wasn't saved yet. I was scared. It was working on me. It was a process. I was growing. I was understanding the seriousness of the situation. But then, one day, months later, at a service, after the preaching of the gospel, Spring Revival, 1984, in Union Hill, I can tell you that night is when the Spirit put the burden on me and drew me to Christ. right? So, kids feeling guilty, kids being scared when they're young, that's a good thing. That means they're understanding the language. That means they're, they're beginning to take this serious. They're growing up. But it doesn't always mean right then God is drawing them. And that's a tough thing. For a parent, for, for a aunt, grandparent, what it's tough. So I was guilty. And then I was scared. Then I was terrified. Then I stayed away from church. Then I talked to God. And then when I came to church, I was about to so bust. And then he made it better. That fits. Totally fits. I think working this past summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're teaching and preaching what we ought to as a church and as parents and families, our kids will get scared before they get drawn. Okay? The difference is, and we need to tell them, we need to teach them in the right way, and it's right. I never mind, I never mind if a little kid is unsure and they're scared about something and they want to pray a while. We're staying here. Or I am. Y'all can go. Right? We're, we're going to protect that. Okay? What we don't want to do is push them into that and try to make them scared. You see, that's the difference. That's the difference. And we need to recognize that when the Spirit's doing it, they're all, He's also going to be drawing them to Jesus. Alright? For some people, it's, it's, a, it's a short period of time. Some people it's hours, days, weeks, some people months. You know, We're different and God deals with us differently in that way. But it all fits this pattern. And there's always an awakening to sin, some time of working through that, and a drawing to Christ. All right. God never just puts somebody's burden on them and just leaves them out there. No. If He's working on them, He's drawing them to Jesus. All right? And it may seem like a little bit different process. But it always fits into that mold. And God always does the drawing. Because as Jesus said there in John chapter 6. If he doesn't do the drawing. We can't be saved. But the cool part is he does the drawing. And we can trust him to do that. Right? Did he draw you? Yeah. Will he draw our loved ones? Absolutely. Absolutely. Trust the Gospel. Trust the Lord. You trusted Him for your salvation. Now trust Him for theirs. Right? Which doesn't save them, but you see what I'm saying. We trust God to do His part. We just keep witnessing. Good good questions. Good. Anything else before we move to the next clause? It's a good one tonight. Alright. So being... It makes more sense if I read it together. Whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger and helplessness and of the way of salvation by Christ. The next uh, clause. We turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession and supplication for mercy. Notice this phrase encompasses both repentance and faith. We have that key word turn, which is repentance. Right. And we're looking for something we're trusting. So let's look at Luke chapter 15 verses 18 and 19. All right, this is the prodigal son that we uh, probably have heard about most of our lives if you've been in church. So notice there's a turning. He says, I was here doing what I want to do. Now I'm going to go to my father. Repentance. But notice the notice the uh, attitude of his heart. I'm not worthy. So he's approaching humbly. All right. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All right. So again, we see that humble approach. He won't even look up to heaven, but what is he looking for? What is he trusting for? He's looking to God for mercy. Now, why would he do that? Previous clause. The Spirit of God was drawing him to God. Now he's responding to that faith and repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 and 11. Who's got that one? For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold the self-same thing to sorrowed after godly sort, what carefulness it what in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Alright, verse ten is often quoted. Verse eleven, hardly ever, but look at what Paul is saying there. Because of the drawing of the Spirit, look, they're earnestly, they're humbly turning and looking and trusting with fear, longing, zeal, for mercy. Alright, one more place. Psalm 51, the first four verses. If you want to know what it looks like or sounds like, if you will, to be in this place of repenting and believing, Psalm 54, the first four verses. 51, did I say 54? 51, the first four verses. Mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified, and thou speakest, and be clear when thou, judge, thou judgest. Alright, this, this, is, this is, I mean, it's the psalm, so it's poetry, so it's beautiful. But this is the clearest, uh, just like when Jesus said, if you want to know about uh, repentance, look at Jonah chapter 3, right? They repented. Alright, if you, if you want to get the full picture... What it looks like, sounds like to be repenting and believing, to turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession and supplication for mercy. Here you have it. Notice he's acknowledging before God. He's not coming before God bragging on himself. He said, my sin is ever before me. That's what it's like to be convicted of your sins. And by the way, not just for salvation, but as a child of God, when we have transgressed and, and we, we come under the knowledge through the reading of the word or for, through someone telling us or, or just direct revelation from God, and we recognize that we have sinned against our brother or sister and against God, and we say, our sin is ever before us. And read this. We don't talk this way anymore. We should. Look at verse 4. Right? Against you and you only have I sinned. I've done evil, what's in your sight. Look at that second half of that verse. So that you can be justified. What does that mean? The psalmist is saying to God, if you condemn me now, you're right. Let that weigh on you. Right? Not come before God, I've got a right, I've got a right, you can't do this to me. Coming before God saying, if you condemn me now and forever, you're right because I have sinned. That's a repenting and believing heart. Right? You save such of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. And you may not have used King James language, but these are the things that your heart said when you were saved. If you condemn me, God, I'm a sinner. There's a song I like to hear. It says, God, you have to save me. You're my last and only hope. We need to remember that one, right? We turn to God. With unfeigned contrition, which means real, not fake, not, not just going through the motions. With contrition, we confess, we're not holding anything back, and we beg. That's what supplication means. We beg for mercy. That's how you approach God. All right. Lastly, and we're running over, and I apologize, so we'll just run through this run through it, that's awful. But all right, at the same time, so we're, we're humbled, we're, we're convicted, we're brought low and we're coming like the psalmist we're agreeing with God that we're uh, pitiful sinners. At the same time, this is kind of parallels, uh, the Spirit both convicts us and draws us to Christ. So we are humbled, at the same time heartily we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. Relying on him only or alone as the only and all sufficient savior. We won't read these verses right now, but uh, these are instances where they refer to Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. I'll just run through quickly. He is our prophet. Jesus is the one that brought us the gospel, speaks to us, spoke to us uh, for God. He is our priest As he is the one who made intercession. Took his own blood. uh, Hebrews says. Offered the offering of himself as our high priest. And Hebrews 1 and 8 talks about Jesus being our king. We must bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So at the same time as we come humbly. And we're begging for mercy. At the very same time. Because it just happens so quickly. When it actually comes to it. We heartily receive Jesus as our all in all. Now what this does not mean. Is that you have to understand these threefold office of Jesus to be saved. Now, the Bible says it all, and if you you know if you're an adult before you're saved, maybe you do understand these things, and it's brought to bear on you. What it means is an experience is God humbles you, and all I know is I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. Right? That's the way it usually works. And later on, like now, we study it and we look back and we say, "Wow." Look at what God did because uh, he became my prophet, my priest, and my king. All right. One more time and we will be done. We believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties and also inseparable graces. Wrought in our souls by the regenerating spirit of God. Whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness. And of the way of salvation by Christ. We turn to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, and supplication for mercy at the same time heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, and relying on Him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. And I say, Amen. I believe this. This is good. This is what the Bible teaches. Some of it's kind of weird, right? Uh, But we believe it, and it's a glorious thing when we do. All right, questions, comments? That's a heavenly concept. And like what you said about, you know, the, the trinity, the same thing. We may not understand it, but that doesn't make it ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I, I've said before, I, we shouldn't expect to be able to understand in completeness how God does everything. Because we're not God. All right. He's given us a great deal in the word, but it's okay at some point to, to, to retreat into the mystery of God and say, I know the Bible says it's our responsibility, I know the Bible says it's all His doing. I just say, Amen. How does that work? It does. Right. It's okay to say that. We, that's, that's not, uh, you know, that's not being a, I don't know, I can't think of a word, but. Yeah, no. It's 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 right and it's good. Anything else before we close? <clears throat>